The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Alright, and welcome to They Must Be Destroyed On Sight, a movie podcast where we talk about all kinds of shit. Today, this is going to be an intermission episode, not a full one, because it's just going to be me. That's right, any uh, haters out there who don't like me on this podcast, and I know there are those of you out there, feel free to turn off now. Lee and I weren't able to record once again this week, and uh, but we should get something up for you next week, in fact, um, as I'm recording this. We're supposed to be recording tomorrow. Um, we're going to be covering uh, Starship Troopers and Johnny Mnemonic, two uh, 90s uh, sci-fi films. So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to record that. And um, you should get to listen to that here in just a few days um, or whenever Lee decides to put it up because it's his show. Uh, today, I thought I'd uh, throw up a bit of conversation, uh, just kind of me chatting into a microphone about a few movies I watched recently. Um, I was originally intending to... Um, talk about the hateful eight the most recent tarantino film uh i watched it three times in preparation for uh <laughs> talking about it on this show and it's too big and complicated i have lots of thoughts about that and that's uh, just going to have to become an essay and um hopefully you'll get to see that in a couple weeks and uh, i'm sure we'll kind of i'll mention it once it goes up wow that's a glorious mess of a movie and uh, i have lots of really complicated thoughts and uh, probably more than i could do just sitting by myself talking into a microphone. Uh, today we're going to be talking about four movies. We're going to be talking about two 70s sex comedies, um, really obscure things I found on Rare Lust, which is a really cool website for finding these things. So we're going to be talking about two movies uh, from the 70s that are kind of uh, weird, offshoot, sexy movies. They're called Guess What We Learned in the School Today from 1970 and Jokes My Folks Never Told Me from 1978. Uh, we're also going to be covering, because this is the kind of show this is, two 2015 Oscar Beatty movies, both of which actually won at least one Oscar. Um, we're going to be talking about, and they're both on Netflix currently, so I got to watch them pretty easily. I'm going to be talking about The Big Short and Spotlight, which was last year's, um, or, you know, the 2016 Academy Awards for 2015. Uh, that's the Best Picture winner. And uh, we're going to talk about whether I think that deserves it or not. But first, uh, because that's the kind of show we are, uh, I'm going to talk about these uh, very obscure movies that no one's ever heard of from the 70s. Let's start with uh, Guess What We Learned in School Today. Um, this is actually a uh, film that's directed by John Avildsen. That name may sound familiar to you. He directed Rocky. He directed the first three Karate Kid movies, a whole bunch of other stuff. One of those kind of names, 70s, 80s directors, who um, had a really nice long career. And this was uh, his second ever film. Um, I didn't know it was his when I when I discovered it. I just saw the title and went, well, that's something in, the, in kind of the synopsis. And uh, this is a movie that's kind of about, you know, kind of sexual awakening among, uh, like, like, sexual education. Like, there's a <laughs> a woman who's um, kind of teaching uh, kids about sex and kind of the people who are trying to keep her down and some of the family relationships. There's basically um, two uh, kind of footy-ditty, stick-in-the-mud patriarchal authority figures and a police officer who's uh, busting prostitutes uh, after they... Uh, agree to have sex with them in entrapment, uh, first of all. And then there's a uh, a dude who's um, basically a uh, 
he's a general or something. I forget exactly where he is in the military, but um, he's a he's a member of the kind of military industrial complex. So, and um, it really is like their wives. Uh, these two men each have wives, and it's kind of their wives who are kind of pushing for um, this kind of greater sexual liberation. And uh, they're kind of trying to stand in the way. This is a really weird fucking movie um, because it really is just right at that cusp of like the early 70s that kind of it was right after the summer of love. So you're getting this kind of like they're they're introducing these kind of sexual concepts in this film. It feels really edgy in a lot of ways. There is a, quite a bit of nudity in it. There's a, a bit of a lesbian subtext as well. There's also this teenage boy who's like having sex with. Uh, someone who's over the age of 21, someone who's in her early 20s, and so they're, and, and she's like teaching him the ropes, as it were. Um, so there is a, a kind of like a borderline, or I'm not going to say borderline, there is, there is a bit of a statutory rape element to this. Um, I'm not sure what the laws were in 1970 in California, or wherever the fuck this is supposed to be set. This is a weird, weird fucking movie. Really worth seeing. I mean, I kind of found it fascinating. It might be one that um, I kind of pushed Lee to uh, talk about at some point. It's it's really cheap. It definitely feels like something that was kind of put together on a shoestring. Um, there are lots of weird um, cuts where I think there might have been material that was kind of left on the cutting room floor or just never shot. But it really does an interesting job of kind of building this uh, these kind of interlocking relationships because all the people in this film are, are kind of friends or they know each other. And you kind of get these kind of weird kind of cutaways between them. One issue that I kind of run into is that the two blondes look similar enough to one another. There are two blonde, uh, young blonde women in the film. They look similar enough to one another that it, I wasn't even aware they were two characters um, when I was first watching the film, um, which is a problem. It's a really, uh, really definitely worth uh, kind of checking out if you can get it pretty easily. Um, you can download this for free on Rarelust, so um, I would uh, probably recommend it um, if it's something that sounds interesting to you. It's only about uh, 85 minutes long. Um, there's uh, quite a bit of nudity in it, and uh, it'll, it'll, it's, it's just this fascinating cultural artifact. It also uh, was uh, released by Canon Films, uh, which means that officially They Must Be Destroyed on Sight has done a canon film, even though it was in an intermission uh, episode and not on a full uh, episode. But that is now a thing. Hopefully we'll do more of them. <laughs> They've been on our list, but we've always got a list that's way longer than the number of films we're actually realistically going to be able to do. So the other uh, 70s uh, sex comedy was a film that I saw called Jokes My Folks Never Told Me. This is from 1978. This is basically, if you take the really hoary old joke book, like paperback, that you had as a kid when you were like, you know, 10 or 11, and it had some like slightly raunchy material in it, and uh, about like adultery and, you know, pretty girls like making bad puns and that sort of thing. Take the absolute most average jokes you can possibly find out of that, and then basically dramatize them with attractive young ladies taking off their clothes in most of the segments. <laughs> it's basically like a little anthology film with a bunch of little um, jokes. There was nothing in this that was original to me, nothing that like was really all that amusing. Um, this is, again, one of those kind of oddball cultural artifacts. I can't believe this. I mean, I guess maybe it was kind of post-Kentucky Fried Movie, and this was like an attempt to cash in on that. I'm, I'm not sure. But it feels like this this really, really tired kind of idea. It does have some pretty girls in it, but um, honestly, I only watched the first 30 minutes of this or so and kind of turned it off. Maybe it got really brilliant in the last hour, but uh, I don't think I'm ever going to try to revisit this again. Uh, it might be something to put on, like, a, you know, <laughs> again, a sort of a cultural artifact, something to kind of have on um, with some friends, just kind of hanging out. 
you know, have some beers and talk about how shitty it is. Um, I could see putting it on at some kind of like at a party or something, but not something that you should actually visit as a film. Um, it's it's definitely. I mean, I have a pretty high tolerance for these sorts of things, and uh, this definitely bored the shit out of me, and I just drank more and went to bed. <laughs> so yeah, skip that one. Uh, but I guess what we learned in school today is actually interesting. So uh, check that one out. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this Earth? Destroy it utterly. Send Rick and Danny in Wool Rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail, Hail Ming. Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the Visua screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud too? Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? What's a critter? I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Helming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Helming. Breaking two? Electric boogaloo? Samurai cop? Army of darkness? Flash dance? (laughs) (laughs) We might destroy the planet if it's flash dance. (laughs) Movies need only three things. 
badasses. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast, known to be the source of life since Eve, can be deadly weapons and body counts body count the mathematics of murder and menace the bb and bc podcast is your source for exploitation film discussion of b movies you can find the show on itunes and stitcher radio by searching for bb and bc podcast you can also listen to each episode directly from the show's website located at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Let's go to work. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites, as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The podcast Under the Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under the Stairs, signing off. Let's move on to um, the two kind of big uh, Oscar-baiting movies. Um, These are both on Netflix. And uh, really, I think the lesson that I learned from uh, these movies and then from Wolf of Wall Street in the last um, you know, few years ago and um, some other stuff is that um, we've kind of moved past, long past, the kind of era of costume dramas being the genre of choice for people uh, going for Oscars. And we have now gotten to the point where what you really want to do is you want to talk about you know upper middle class to upper class dudes in rumpled suits. You know, that's the real key to um, Oscar gold these days, uh, because there's so many films that are, are basically, you know, here in, in Spotlight, for instance, Mark Ruffalo gives a brilliant performance as this you know investigative reporter, uh, basically, you know, put him in bad hair and uh, give him a, um, a rumpled suit and uh, have him be really earnest and um, give him an issue to care about. It's a great performance, but, you know, it seems like there's a lot of that kind of going on right now, and um, that's just kind of what's winning awards. Both of these are good films. I- I'm not going to um, complain about anything, really, in terms of, like, I-, I think these are both quality entertainments, and they're both kind of worth a visit. Um, let's start with Spotlight. Um, this is the uh, Best Picture winner from last year. Um, this is the story of the Boston Globe's coverage of the Catholic Church pedophilia scam, um, and basically kind of the way that that snowballed and, and some of the some of the issues um, that people kind of ran into in terms of how people had to uh, cover the story while, you know, ruffling as few feathers as possible and kind of running into, you know, cultural uh, baggage and, and kind of fighting the Catholic Church on certain things. And, you know, it's fine. It's just sort of, it just kind of sort of sits there. I mean, it's an important issue. And I absolutely think that, that journalism is this, um, you know, really vital thing. And, and I'm going to get into that here in a second. Um, and I think obviously, you know, 
we shouldn't like <laughs> not cover the fact that fucking Catholic priests were uh, fucking small children, and uh, we shouldn't certainly shouldn't avoid talking about the fact that the Catholic Church covered it up, which was the real scandal. That they were literally moving priests around. This 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 movie is about the the team called Spotlight working at the. Uh, uh, Boston Globe doing this kind of long-form journalism and really digging into these stories. Um, this is really, really important thing for um, newspapers to do, to have these organizations. And the film makes a, I mean, it's trying to make the compelling case for that. It's well acted. Mark Ruffalo is great in it, um, as is um, Michael Keaton, who kind of runs this uh, four-person team. Rachel McAdams is, is in it. You've got a whole bunch of character actors that I mostly knew from uh, <laughs> Law & Order episodes. Uh, ironically, I, I know a lot of them, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, you know, these kind of East Coast, New York, Boston actors. You know, these kind of films are, I mean, they're actor showcases because it's really just kind of an excuse to kind of for an actor to kind of dig into this uh, kind of real person and, and this role, this kind of idea to make impassioned speeches about things to kind of be morally ambiguous, maybe. And there's not much here in terms of like actual cinema. There's not much that the, the film does that, like, a, a really a play couldn't do. I mean, it kind of feels a little bit like a staged play at times. There's nothing wrong with that, but it just kind of, I don't know, it, it's one of these kind of message movies that just never is going to be something that really sinks its teeth into me and, and doesn't let go. It's it's always going to be something that, that feels like, yeah, this this is great, you know, when it was an article in the Boston Globe, you know, or a book, you know, I, I'd love to read, you know, the, the book that this is kind of based on and, and kind of getting into some of these details. It's great if you want to see the performances. Um, it, it's definitely entertaining. It was worth, you know, kind of the two hours of my time. I mean, it's the sort of film that's made to win Oscars and it won Oscars because it's well-made, but well-made isn't enough for me to really like give a shit beyond that. If you're interested in the story, then it's probably something that you're, um, you know, gonna want to watch, um, especially if you want to kind of check out those actors, um, because there there really are pleasures in the film. I didn't dislike the film, but um, I don't know that I'm ever gonna want to revisit it again. It's just kind of not worth that. There's another issue, and this is kind of a a, a little bit more of a political side. Is you know, in the film, uh, Lee Schreiber, who is uh, great, um, who I haven't seen in enough stuff lately, um, he uh, kind of shows up. He uh, is this kind of. Um, foreign he's kind of outside buyer this kind of rich guy who's come in to kind of run the paper and he's kind of he's moved around to different cities and he's kind of bought papers and then kind of like restored their financial health and in real life when this happened to people um kind of in the i mean this film is set in about 2001 i believe yeah actually september 11th happens during the film so it's set during 2001 you know not too long after that just a few years after that the gannett agency basically started buying up papers and firing shitloads of people who were doing exactly this that the spotlight team is trying to do because it doesn't bring in immediate revenue. This is kind of what these like capital holding companies actually do when they bring up papers. Now, maybe in this case, this guy really was a saint, and maybe this is kind of note perfect for how things actually existed. That's great if that's true. I don't I don't know enough about the history to know, but dear God, this this kind of makes it seem like you know, you know, taking this out of context and just kind of looking at it as as this, it, it really feels um, kind of hagiographic towards that. And that's really a problem because, you know, local news agencies have been bleeding money for a while. And, you know, the idea that we're, we're basically not funding news reporting to the point to where local government and, and local issues are just not being covered to the degree they can be. And people are getting away with murder, uh, literally in some cases, I'm sure, although I don't have like 
I'll, you know, stop being covered, so I don't know. But there's all kinds of shit happening in all of our local legislatures here in the United States. That's where the really awful things about democracy are happening right now. And this film is not dealing with any of that. I mean, it's kind of like just, you know, worship the newspaper industry. Isn't it great? I really wish if you're going to talk about the newspaper industry, you could talk about that issue just a little bit. And um, this film doesn't. So definitely uh, kind of knocked it down a point for me. I mean, it just doesn't pass the smell test to some degree. So that's uh, definitely something to be thinking about um, kind of as, as you kind of think about the accolades that this film made. I mean, it really is, is an apology to the, to the newspaper industry as a whole. The other film I watched was Big Short. It was actually a film directed by Adam McKay, who you might know he worked with Will Ferrell a lot. He directed a lot of Will Ferrell's big hits. This is first kind of a foray into drama, and it does have kind of a comedy drama edge. It's not quite, you know, kind of straight drama. I mean, you know, if you look like technically it's a lesser film, it's not as good a film as Spotlight, but I think it's more interesting and it's a lot more fun. So The Big Short is a story of, it was actually based on a, a nonfiction book, uh, which I haven't read, um, but it's it's uh, based on the 2008 financial crisis and the way that there were investors, there were people working in kind of investment groups and um, you know kind of mutual funds who kind of saw this coming, who did the math on it, who saw things coming, and then basically um, decided to short the mortgage market, the mortgage insurance market, which was, I mean, just heresy at the time. Like they didn't even, they literally had to invent the instruments that they used, the financial instruments that they used to short the market because nobody had ever considered that it was something that should be done. And the film explains a lot. I mean, you know, if you if you don't remember, you know, kind of 2008, 2009 and all of the kind of graphics and all the articles and essays, you know, on Slate and Salon and everything, kind of explaining in very simple terms how the um, credit default swaps and all that stuff worked, this film will explain it to you. In fact, in some cases, and in one case, you know, the film not only uses things like Jenga as a uh, as kind of an exploratory, explanatory tool, but uh, at one point literally uh, cuts to Margot Robbie, uh, who you may know from, she's Harley Quinn in the new Suicide Squad film, but uh, she was also in Wolf of Wall Street. She played um, Leo DiCaprio's second wife and was, you know, kind of amazing in that. Literally the film at one point cuts to her in a bubble bath to explain some arcane piece of, you know, financial minutiae on the logic that you know if you're gonna have to listen to this you might as well listen to it from margot robbie in a in a, in a in a tub now i don't have a problem with margot robbie in a tub and um you know clearly i mean she's quite lovely and, and talented and, and all that sort of thing but um it does feel a little bit like uh, yeah a little bit exploitative it, it, it definitely has the like we're gonna you know kind of go into a strip club a couple of times in this movie just for the excuse to go into a strip club i think that the film should be better than that and bigger than that it kind of feels like an impulse that feels a little bit off to me today. It feels like something kind of left over from the 90s, quite honestly. And, uh, you know, again, I don't have any problem with sex workers and, and that sort of thing, but the, it's definitely used as kind of like, you know, local color in a couple of places, and that's just kind of uh, disquieting. But um, the film does use um, some really interesting kind of um, character dynamics to kind of explain some of this. I mean, you kind of follow around all these kind of guys in rumpled clothes, and, uh, you know, Christian Bale is kind of the lead guy in this. He's the guy who first discovers... Um, this uh, financial meltdown that's about to happen. He is, uh, this is probably Christian Bale's best performance. I've been kind of negative on Christian Bale's performances in the past. Um, this is not him doing the um, look at me be uh, emotionless and stare straight ahead, square jawed kind of performance that we normally see from him. He is playing this guy who's, I mean, they don't say it in the film, but he's hes basically on, um, you know, he definitely appears to be on the autism spectrum to some degree. Um, he's definitely kind of this quiet guy. He's, I mean, like this, former doctor who becomes an investment banker who you know 
runs an office and, and kind of sits and plays drums and heavy metal and um, wears a t-shirt and shorts every day. So it's that kind of character. Um, it's a really fun character. It's, it's a really great performance. Probably one of my favorite performances in the film. Although my favorite is probably from uh, actually Steve Carell as this um, guy who's this, again, kind of very kind of moral crusader, kind of investment banker, who um, kind of calls the assholes in Wall Street for what they are. Ryan Gosling is in this, and he kind of narrates the film. In fact, uh, the film does break the fourth wall several times, always in kind of an entertaining and, and interesting way. I mean, it, it, at times it kind of points out, like, yeah, we're compressing some things here. This didn't actually happen this way, but this is more fun to look at. And at times, I mean, there's one point where Ryan Gosling literally likes looks to camera and says, yeah, that actually happened the way we showed it just there. He actually, there's a point at which Steve Carell like, raises his hand in the middle of a big, like, you know, presentation from some Wall Street asshole and um, <laughs> asks the question that he should be asking about how terrible the mortgage market was going to go and how the entire economy was about to crash because of these guys, you know, stupidity and greed. So, um, you know, fun movie, especially if you're um, like me, just kind of like uh, wanting all these guys to uh, go fuck themselves. One thing that I wish the film kind of put its finger on a little bit more is the fact that like all of our heroes in this film are also kind of wealthy investment banker guys, and they're doing the things that they're doing not really out of any kind of moral crusade, but because they know they're going to make a shitload of money out of it. Um, they do kind of uh, point to that a little bit. Um, Brad Pitt plays a kind of a um, small role in the film, and uh, he kind of has his kind of minute of moral indignation, kind of pointing it out. But the film itself, I mean, really doesn't. I mean, it kind of uses the people who are the victims of this, the, you know, the kind of regular people who lost their jobs and lost their houses and such, as um, just kind of props for our kind of fun plot that we really want to follow. That's fine. I mean, I'm not going to complain too much about that. I mean, the film is entertaining. It kind of does what it does. But um, it is kind of worthwhile to kind of, when you think about this kind of thing, like whose story is being left out. But yeah, The Big Short is definitely worth watching. I think it's, I think it's really entertaining. I thought it was a lot of fun. And um, I might I might watch this again sometime soon. I mean, this is this was uh, this was kind of just a, a nice little uh, fun, relaxing watch for me. And if you're um, not quite sure what happened in the 2008, you know, economic collapse, and you're kind of curious about it, uh, this is probably a good place to go. You know, it's it definitely explains a lot of stuff pretty simply. I mean, it's a little. I mean, it is oversimplified. Let's not uh, pretend it's not. But it um, it goes into more detail than you might think, and it is uh, nevertheless entertaining while it does so. So um, yeah. Uh, definitely check that one out. That's probably the best of these four films that I've uh, talked about today, which is one reason why I just wanted to save it for the end. All right, uh, that's about it for me. I've been going on for uh, about 25 minutes, which is uh, always good. I wasn't sure exactly how long I was going to be able to talk by myself into a microphone. Next week, you can uh, expect to hear me, uh, again with Lee, talk about uh, Johnny Mnemonic and Starship Troopers. And I've definitely got a lot to say about those two films. Uh, I'm kind of thinking if this is the Dina Meyer episode because um, she's just brilliant and she's in both of these movies. And um, this was her hey, right there at the beginning of her career. And um, I, I think I think it's just I'm really excited to get to talk about these um, because they're both deeply flawed but kind of like glorious mess kind of movies. So um, in a very different way than Hatefully. But I think Glorious Mass, particularly Starship Troopers, I think Glorious Mass is the best way to possibly describe it. So uh, look forward to that. Sorry, a little preview for what I'm going to say um, next week. And then uh, after that, we're going to start Spaghetti Westerns. So um, check that out. I'm really excited to be to do Spaghetti Westerns and dig into that. I know Lee's got a ton of stuff planned for October. For um, We're going to do some horror movies. Um, maybe do some more kind of intermission um, kind of bonus episodes like this. And um, yeah, that's all I got for you. 
Uh, hopefully, Lee finds some uh, cool music to throw in. I did listen to Intermission 11, uh, by the way, Lee. And um, thank you for the uh, little bit of Sergio Leone in the middle of my day. Um, that always uh, brings a smile to my face. So um, thanks a lot. Cheers to everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time. I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so Because some people out there in our nation don't have maps And I believe that our education like Such as South Africa and the Iraq Everywhere like such as And I believe that they should Everywhere like such as And I believe That they should
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff and links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find links to us at iTunes and YouTube, as well as our Facebook group link, which is the best way to get in touch with us. We welcome all comments, questions, movie review suggestions, and criticisms, and we do our best to respond to everyone. You can also find us at Daniel's recently launched oispaceman.com, where you can find his sci-fi-themed podcasts about Doctor Who and Red Dwarf. Thank you. Drive through.